This podcast contains discussions about mental health and may contain discussions about suicide and self-harm. If you or somebody that you know is experiencing distress or is in immediate danger, dial triple O or call Lifeline on 131114 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. Also, if you believe that someone you love is experiencing a mental health issue, please encourage them to go and talk to their GP as soon as possible. Thanks very much for listening. Hi folks and welcome to episode 6 of How You Going Mate. Uh, it's been uh, a really incredible uh, past probably three months uh, recording the podcast and uh, getting to talk to a whole bunch of people about their um, mental health and their men- their experiences of mental health and their journey um, through uh, poor mental health, recovery, wellness, and uh, really excited to keep presenting this to you. I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do here at How You Going Mate is to, um, to break down uh, some of those stigmas around uh, speaking about mental health uh, and to create really safe spaces where people feel comfortable enough to uh, expose those vulnerabilities, expose that that side of themselves. So uh, we're going to continue to do that and we're really happy that, uh, I'm really happy that I've just got people coming up to me and, and really wanting to be involved in this project, getting some incredible feedback. We've had over 600 listens at this stage, which is amazing. Uh, we want more. We want a lot more. We're going to be very greedy about this. Uh, we want a lot more of you to listen. Uh, before we uh, introduce the, today's guest, uh, just a reminder that uh, we are on Facebook, so please jump onto Facebook. We're on Instagram as well, if that's your preferred uh, social media platform. It is uh, How You Going Mate on both of those. If you search that, you'll find us in both of those platforms. Um, please go ahead, uh, like the pages, uh, share them if you can, let other people know we're out there. We uh, really want to try and get this message of um, of... You know, talking about mental health and uh, and asking people how they're going, uh, we want to get that out to as many people as possible. Uh, don't forget, if you're listening to this uh, via Facebook or Instagram, uh, you can download uh, the podcast via iTunes or the Apple Podcast app on your iPhone, or if you've got a Samsung or an Android device, uh, go into the Google Play Store, download the CastBox app, and uh, search for How You're Going, mate. It operates almost exactly like the uh, Apple Podcast app, so... You can uh, access us there, or you can just listen through the Facebook page or the Instagram page. Uh, my guest today is a um, is a friend of mine that I've worked with for I think I think around three years now. Uh, we have a number of interesting conversations uh, around mental health and uh, and and the various uh, stages of mental health. She, of course, has extensive uh, mental health experience herself, both professionally and personally. Uh, she speaks about both of those. There's so some really fantastic tips in here today about um, supporting someone with mental health, some of the very practical things that you can do, particularly around severe and persistent mental health, uh, but also uh, a little bit just to write at the back end about, uh, I guess, her own mental health journey and, uh, and some of the incredible success that she's had uh, as a person. So without further ado, uh, my guest today is Elisa and... Uh, uh, Elisa has asked me not to use her last name, that's fine, uh, but uh, the only thing we have left to ask is, Elisa, how are you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Adam, how are you? This is, I mean, I'm looking forward to this because this has been a, uh, one of the uh, ones I've had on my list for a while and I've, I've looked at my list of people that I've got coming up and this is, this is the exciting one because uh, just to fill people in, um, <laughs> we do work together. We won't mention our employer. No. Um, but we have a number of interesting conversations. So this hour or so could... <laughs> <laughs> Lead us down the garden path. Could go tangent, tangentialise. I don't even know if that's a word, but tangentialise anywhere. <laughs> well, first, I'm honoured, honoured, Adam, that you put me on the list. Mate, it's, I, had, I had to. I had to. It's, it's a list worthy being on. For people that... Um, just, I, I guess we just touched on this. We were talking just before, the, um, before we started recording. So... You, we've talked extensively about both your personal and professional history of mental mm-hmm. health, and hopefully we get to touch on a little bit of those today. But the question I always ask first of everybody when they do this is, what does mental health mean to you? 
Okay, mental health to me means isolation, misunderstanding, oh. disconnection. Okay. Yeah, ignorance. Ignorance. <laughs> yes. I always I think isolation's a big one. Mm-hmm. I always say to people I think isolation's the one that I think it's actually the hallmark of poor mental health. Yeah. Um, and what I mean by that is is I think anyone, no matter what you have, you isolate yourself or you become isolated mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. You choose some days not to engage more than you have to. So you attend work. You attend the kids' <laughs> school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then go home and, as I call it, hibernate. Hibernate. Hide under the doona. Right. Yeah. I, I, I don't have the luxury of being able to put myself to bed, but that's where I <laughs> fantasise about being is sleeping for hours to not have to engage. And, and I think it's a, isn't that, that's the one thing that I think um, a lot of people experience as well, mm. that, mm-hmm. that tiredness. Yeah. Um, particularly not sleeping overnight time or, mm-hmm. you know, if part of your mental health issue is, you know, the mind racing. Yes. And going 10 to a dozen. Mm. Ruminating. Ruminating. So part of what we do with this, and this is the, the goal of the podcast, is to talk to as many people as we possibly can <laughs> about mental health. And 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 having these conversations, we we we're going to start to break down. Hopefully, in our own little way, some of these you know stigmas and, as you say, some of these ignorance, some of this ignorance around mental health. Give us an example. What, what when you think about ignorance around mental health, what springs to mind immediately? <laughs> the New South Wales healthcare system. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, listen. We probably shouldn't bang about too much. They might be a sponsor at some stage. You never know. Okay. No, they're wonderful. They do a fantastic job. No, I think, it's, I think it's the uh, people walking in to somewhere to ask for help and they've got a wait, a wait list of six weeks or right. two weeks or a week and they're, they're crying now out for help. Because, uh, look, you know, you, you know the statistics around mental mm-hmm. health as much as I do. Yeah. And the, the, the theory is, as you know, that one in five people are walking around with a mental health mm-hmm. condition or a mental illness at any given time. So yeah. 20% of the population. You know, in an area that – so we're in Campbelltown mm-hmm. and it's, you know – Population where up around two hundred thousand now. Two hundred, yeah, I think it's two hundred and seven thousand or yeah. something. So twenty mm-hmm. percent of that is forty thousand people. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's an incredible. And my contention, and you and I have had this discussion before, is more than that. There's mm-hmm. got to be. There's got to be sixty, eighty thousand. Because there's lots of people who don't identify. Yeah. Because they're too afraid to. Yeah. Come out, come out in the workplace and say, "Hey, mate, I'm feeling really low, and I can't come to work tomorrow." And you tell no. Got to come to work. Got to shift. Yeah. Well, the, the very first um, podcast we did was with Nath, mm-hmm. and um, and I addressed this with him on the um, on the podcast, and and he'd said um, that it was something now that he looked back with some degree of embarrassment because mm-hmm. um, we were talking about the footballer Kieran Foran, mm-hmm. who um, went to his employer at the time, which was the Parramatta Eels, and said, "I'm going to I need to take six weeks off. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I've got to get my mental health sorted out." And um, one one of the people that commented on the post when I shared it was Nathan, and this was before I did all of my "Hey, go mm-hmm. mate" stuff. But this is one of the, the stories that I've carried through as a way mm-hmm. of sort of saying to people, "This is what we're looking at." And Nathan talked about, "Oh, well, you know, my, um, you know, if my employee, my boss, and said, oh, I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, take six weeks off,' he would have turned around and said, "Well, here's seat.com.au, go and see that." Yeah. And mm-hmm. I would have, and 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 I got where he was coming from at the mm-hmm. time, but it displayed a level of you know, kind of. Ignorance on his behalf, as we said, but from from that perspective, you know, talking to Nathan in the podcast, well, Nathan had to walk up to his employer and mm-hmm. ask for four weeks off to go yeah, and attend to his mental, to mental health. health, and um, and he saw the you know the contradiction in mm. that, and um, and I said, and he goes, like, I'm embarrassed of that now. I'm mm-hmm. embarrassed that I had to go and ask that for I had that, that opinion, that, or, yeah, yeah, that support and that mm-hmm. help. So you get the people that kind of, um, I guess, for us, the core of that is mm-hmm. is you know recognizing that mm-hmm. you know you can walk into your boss. And go, you know what, my mental health's really rubbish. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take a couple of days off. There's employment law around it. Yeah. That says that you have the right to attend to your mental health as much as any other health issue. Right. Yeah. And people don't realise that. Same okay. as in domestic violence situations. You're entitled to go to your employer and request time off and some financial support around leaving domestic violence. Oh. But heaven help, we ask for that support. Well, it's interesting though, but the, and when we talk about breaking down some of those barriers, then that's information I think that people want to know. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's mm-hmm. like 
you know, I'm sure that most of the people listening don't understand that you can walk in and, and as much as you can walk in and go, mate, I've got the flu and needed mm-hmm. a couple of days off. Yeah. You can walk in and go, look, you know yep. what, I, I've, I've just changed medications or mm-hmm. you can walk in and go, listen, today is one of those days. days. Yep. You know, maybe it's a significant day, you know, if... Um, the, the passing of a loved one. Or yeah, yeah, exactly. You Ending know. of a relationship. And so you go, oh, this is the anniversary day that I need to have mm-hmm. the day off. Mm-hmm. It's just as valid. You're allowed to have that day off. And ultimately, we need to encourage people to step forward and request these days so they become the norm. Yeah. They're not isolated cases. They're actually part of normal culture in our workplace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That allows us to say, hey, I'm not feeling the best. Yeah. Because if you walked in with a cancer diagnosis, people would be turning up at your door with the casserole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Your boss would be sending you flowers. Yeah. You know, you'd be getting get well cards. Yeah. Do you get them for being mentally unwell? No. Or no. emotionally unwell? Or your, no. your well-being not being where it should be? No, I, I, look, and if I'm honest, I reckon you often actually get mocked privately. You do? Yeah. Oh, toughen up. Yeah. Drink. Oh, geez, that's just... Stop being a princess. Which is crazy, Elisa. <laughs> yeah. God, look at her yeah. having a day off. Well, um, you and I have had that conversation that uh, you know I'm not well unless I toss it talk excessively yeah more more than i normally do (laughs) a thousand words per minute but yeah yeah, and i jump from conversation to conversation really quickly and that's a common sign of mania (laughs) so but ultimately at the end of the day i tell those people around me now that if i'm feeling anxious or i'm feeling unsettled i'll identify it immediately in a room of group a group of people i feel safe with yeah so that you all understand and you do your welfare checks on your colleagues yeah yeah. Yeah, I don't find myself doing that. And even today, mm-hmm. um, uh, somebody in the room revealed um, something about a sort of stressful period in her life, and um, and she said, no, "That's okay, though, because I, I went and touched base with my doctor about mm-hmm. it." And I actually said to her uh, in, during the session, "I said, cool, I don't have to worry about you now because mm-hmm. I would have, would have, yeah." Um, but the fact that you said that means, okay, cool, you're taking some steps mm-hmm. forward. Next time I touch base with one, you know, maybe mm-hmm. in a couple months' time or a month's time, I'm just going to, you know. How you doing? You good? Yeah. Everything's still good? Yeah. You still seeing the doctor? What's happening mm-hmm. there? But um, realistically, you know, that's, again, the whole part of this mm-hmm. is going, you know, that person's showing these signs. I know that that's happening in their life. I've got to check in and I'll make sure mm-hmm. that they get, you know, ask them how they're going. Yeah. And it's not that glazed over. Hi, how you going? I'm thinking about the spreadsheet I've got to do in 10 minutes. Yeah. I've got a report, Jib. Can you hurry this story up? Yeah. Nathan uh, did the um, talked about in the first podcast where he said, you know, he walked into the walked into the rehab facility and said, you know, um, the guy said, "How are you going?" He said, "Yeah, good, thanks." He goes, "No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be here." Because <laughs> we do we default to the oh yeah I'm alright, mate. My favourite default is yeah I'm upright. Yeah. Because I'm grateful to be upright. Yeah. Because there's been periods of time where I thought I wasn't going to be upright. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and periods of times I chose not to be upright. And ultimately, if I'm upright, I'm all right. Well, the, I guess, you know, in terms of a social convention, the social convention says is the answer is, you know, yeah, good, mate, yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I'm good, you know. And that's glazed. And my trem- my one used to be tremendous. How are you? Yeah. Tremendous. tremendous. <laughs> and they go. And depending on how I said it and mm. how people recognise what I was saying, mm-hmm. some people would be like, oh, that good, huh? Mm-hmm. And other people would be like, oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. good for I'm, you. I'm moving on now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've done my welfare um, check. Yeah, I don't need to know anymore. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, it's interesting. Um, the first time I ever talked about this this concept of how you're going, mate, We were, I was talking to a friend of mine in, in relation to um, Are You OK Day? Mm-hmm. And we were chatting about the fact that, you know, I, I love Are You OK Day. I'm never going to... It's it's a it's a valuable yep, absolutely. conversation and, and, piece. And anything that's continuing to add to the narrative around mental mm-hmm. health, I'm happy to... Happy to support, but um, are you okay? You know, doesn't really resonate. Mm. And he actually said, "He goes, I just think you should walk up and you know give your mate a call and say, how you going, mate?'" Mm-hmm. And if you pay attention to how many times a day you ask that, yeah, you know, even just in the shops, you know, mm-hmm. how you going, mate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. Yourself? Yeah, good. What can I get for you? Yeah, you know. And you go, and it happens all the time. And I was like, yeah, because. That's part of our vernacular. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and and what I want people to think about, and I feel like maybe we'll ruin how you're going, mate, for people, mm-hmm. because now it's not just, you know, how you going, mate? Yeah, good, mate, self. Yeah, yeah. yeah not bad. We want it to be glazed over occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, ha- it needs to be. Yeah. It doesn't always need to be. Like, not every time someone says, how you going, well, you know, mm-hmm. you know you've got 15 minutes, minutes, let's sit and have a chat, and I'll tell you about it, because that's the person we don't want to sit next to. <laughs> Sometimes those people will tell everybody, 
they're everything. And oh, that, that's man. okay for them. Why do you think people do that? I, yeah. I'm always curious. Why do you think people do that? So I really think those people in this world, this world who want to sit down and vent yeah. every minor hangnail, they are calling for help just as much as anybody else. Right. But they're not receiving the help they, re- they require in the format that they require it. So we really, we, we avoid those people. But they're the people we should run at. Okay. We should run at those people because those people really need some help. They really genuinely, and we, we joke so, about so, it. So maybe, like if we go with a physical analogy, mm-hmm. maybe they're sitting there talking about like a sore hand when really the problem is it's the shoulder. a sore heart. Yeah, or they're talking about, you know, the mm-hmm. sore, oh, my feet are sore, but it's actually your back that's the problem. Yes. You know, there, there's, yep. they're drawing attention to this, oh, this is what's wrong with me. Yes. So in terms of if we were looking at like, um, you know, Again, a, a revelation, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, I had when I spoke to Nate, you know, mm-hmm. thinking about the amount of people I went to school with, yeah. right, that were mm-hmm. just assholes, really. Yeah. But looking back on that now and going, what were you dealing with in your private life? Yeah. You know, what, what was your pain? What was your home like? Mm-hmm. What was your dad like? What was your mum like? What mm-hmm. was happening there? Yeah. And watching and now looking back and going, man, did I... Miss something? Did I judge? Well, well, not even miss something. Did, did I just judge you wrongly or... Mm. Or did did I not even? I mean, you know, fifteen year old kid. I'm not going to stop and think. Oh, I wonder what your home life's like. I wonder if your dad beats you up every night. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that's it's probably true. what happened. And, yeah. and and looking back now, so this person that we sit there going, mm-hmm. blah, 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 mm-hmm. we're seeing this little bit of it, but no, then really, there's a bigger problem behind it. Yeah. And ultimately, we 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 tend to, you know, we've got a couple of people in our world. We we dodge, you know, because we get them in the tea room, and <laughs> the next minute they're telling us all about, you know all sorts of bodily functions we don't want to hear about. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of that is, why are you actually telling me this? Because you're trying to make a connection. Yeah. Your behaviour says, I need you to connect with me on a different level. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not getting that elsewhere. So are you going to be the person who connects with me? Yeah. I will will just take it wherever I can get it. I can get get it, it. yeah. Yeah. And they fill the void. They fill the void of emptiness with noise. Yeah, yeah. No, no. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with that. But the, mm. um, potentially, that void's never really getting filled because, no. like any void, if you don't actually deal with the reason the mm. void occurs, yeah, you don't. It just stays. It never it does. changes. It gets bigger. Yeah, it starts to become. You know, well, you just can't hole. fill it in. No, yeah, it's the black hole. Then it starts sucking things in in a negative way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think really, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's all about connection. How are we connecting with those around us? How are we connecting with our mates? Yeah. Are we connecting with them in, on, a, on a real level it's, or is it glazed over? My, my thoughts are evolving on this as well and we've had these discussions, you and I, but um, this idea of talking to people mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the idea of, you know, I've said had this conversation with a few people, but you feel like you're special. Yeah. You know, when you get diagnosed with depression, for example, you go, oh, well, that's him, mate, look at him, you know, something, I'm different, I'm yeah. something different, I'm something... And you start to talk to people and you realise that every second person has been diagnosed with depression Depression. and that everyone's got Mm -hmm. something that sits there. But I I think that talking to people about it works in two ways. Number one, you start to realise you're not on your own Mm. and you're not the only one and there's a stack of people like you. And when you talk about that isolation thing, Mm -hmm. when you get that first diagnosis, it tells you you're the only one. Yes. No one else is like you. No. You are the worst. Yes. yes. You are never going to be the same again. Yeah, yeah. And then and then ultimately you realise that everyone else mm-hmm. has got the same thing. You go, okay, I'm not the only one. So you take that power away from that voice. Mm-hmm. But then also what you start to do is you start to share your story and then when other people hear it and they go, oh, well, if, if that guy can deal with it and, and he can mm-hmm. take the medication and he can do the counselling and he can do this. But also I think... Um, as you say, I've got a group of friends now that I'm connecting with very differently because we're having these conversations. And and part of our conversation, every time we get together, comes back to the, the podcast mm-hmm. and comes back to and, – and two of those people, um, you know, uh, Craig and Eliza from previous episodes, they're part of that group. Part of that, like, difference is coming from the fact that this is out there in the world – and they're going, well, you're okay to talk to. I feel yeah. safe. And I think that's what fuels a connection. Yes. Safety is a massive thing. Yeah. Because if you think you're going to sit down and talk with your group of friends and three out of the five are going to ostracize you or yeah. belittle you or mock you, yeah. you're not going to feel confident in speaking with them. 
yeah. if all of a sudden your story is spread around the locker room or, you know, around the yeah. workplace where it's, oh, you know, she just needs to harden up. Yeah. Oh, he needs to get over himself. What's he think? He is special. You yeah. Know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So you've got to, you know, when you're talking about, you know, feeling vulnerable and, and uneasy or emotional or, you know, whatever labels you want to put on it, anxiety. Yeah. When you're feeling those things, you want to feel them in a safe place. And if we make it normal to talk about these things, even though normal on, is a cycle on a washing machine, yeah. <laughs> make it the general, <laughs> you know, we want to be able to say, no, yeah. everybody has a right to feel. And I think we've taken away the whole right to feel. Yeah. Men have to not fail. Women have to just get on with it because they're strong. Be strong. What's that? (laughs) Well, here's the interesting question. So I always talk about the fact that, you know, there is that stereotype around men. Mm. Um, You know, men have got to be tough. Men have got to, you know, not show emotion, not show weakness, not show vulnerability. I think vulnerability is the key in that conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's always been, I guess, perceived that women have more of an opportunity to show those things. Would, is that from you're one person? You're obviously not speaking for an entire gender. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't because I uh, have difficulty identifying with the female gender. <laughs> so, <laughs> is it, you, is it more revelations here? <laughs> If you see the picture of me, I don't uh, generally stereotype dressed like a woman in quotes. We didn't say um, we were going to go into different places here, but exactly. shit, I didn't know this was happening. This was happening. But anyway, I, I, I find it difficult when, you know, you're talking about, you know, that your standard, standard you know, gender typing is you're supposed to be men are tough and women yeah. have the right to, you know, weep or, or show emotion. Yeah. Well, I think we're human. We're all born with a capacity to show emotion. And when we're told, no, harden up, stop crying, get on with it, or classic, classic one, I'll give you something to cry about. I'll give you something to cry about, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, get on with it. And you, you're labelled then and then you're told, no, I can't feel an emotion. So we squash them. Yeah. We eat them. We drink them. Mm-hmm. We put substances sprinkled on them. them. Yep. We smoke them. Yep. You know, we gamble them. Yep. We, we, you know, do all of these things, take risk-taking behaviours, you know, yeah. to, to mask them because we're trying to squash them down. Because if they bubble up and we have to feel them, then, oh, my God, what will happen next? Well, you, you do whatever you can to shut down the central nervous system. system. Yeah. And you do whatever you can to fire up the pleasure centres. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's what it boils down and, to. And, and, and people say, oh, today's society of the instant gratification. Where I've always had instant gratification. Yeah. It's just that, you know, it's more readily available to everybody where before it was only available to the rich. I, yeah. I, I think they um, – was looking at some stuff, some Gestalt therapy mm-hmm. stuff a while back, mm-hmm. looking at that cycle of um, of, of awareness mm-hmm. from the Gestalt theory. And I kind of think what happens is, is at some point you have this need that doesn't get met in the positive way. Yeah. And so, say for example, let's say for example I go to my mum, I mm-hmm. want a hug. Yeah. Now my mum was a great mm-hmm. hugger, so this is not really my life, but I want a hug. Yeah. And mum goes, no, no, I don't want a hug, go away, go away. I'm busy. Right, I'm busy. So I go into the cupboard and I get a you know, packet of chips and eat the packet of chips. And, and that makes me feel good. good. They are awesome. Chicken yeah. chips, they're the best things I ever, know, right? Chicken, salt and vinegar, bro. <sighs> okay. Oh, well, well, then we found our difference. <laughs> There's our point of difference. <laughs> um, but, you know, you get to see – but then the next time, well, eventually what happens is we don't go for the hug. No. We go for the chips because they're awesome. You and know? we're not eating one but two. And we're not eating two and, then, and mm-hmm. you know, and we're yes, in the whole bag. It's a family and, bag. And, yeah. <laughs> Part, they put out a party bag. <laughs> Thank God they weren't available when yes. I was young. I would have yes. absolutely smashed them. them. Yes. Um, but you know, but it, it could be mm-hmm. alcohol, it could be drugs, drugs. It could be, and, and, yeah. and we know Gambling. it's all of those all things. Of, all of those things. So you know, we, we've talked often about what people do to stifle this feelings and and having to you know yeah. have an emotional thought about anything. And you know, why do we not identify drug use as a mental health issue instead of a crime? I um I actually think why don't we more closely align it as a symptom yeah. of a mental health mm-hmm. issue and and mm-hmm. and you know, um, Johan Hari's talked a, a little bit about the stuff around you know, <laughs> the opposite of addiction isn't you know yeah. um, rehab it's connection it is you know it is and and for someone like Nath you know being in with a group of people who he understands and they understand him and mm-hmm. they get him and they don't judge him yeah um it's just who he is mm-hmm. and you know he can tell him he's done the most horrible things. And they'll go, yep, yep, that's okay. That's okay. We still accept you. Yeah, we We're still, not turn we still you like away. you. Um, and and there's lots of um, lots of studies in terms of um, 
was it Belgium, where they did a study around rather than take addicts and put them in treatment and disconnect them from society, they put them in the society um, and they put them through treatment programs, but they also went, but we're going to give you a microloan to start a business or we're going to help you to find a job or we're going to do this. Yeah. And and really then started to put a lot more supports in and around them. Mm. So then they kind of – and part of the study was it looked at rats. This is really interesting actually. I don't know if I've ever talked about this with you. So did these studies I'll let you on, talk about it again if you have. They did these studies on the rats where they, they looked at um, – they, they took a rat, put it mm-hmm. on its own in a cage and they put two things of water in there. One was um, laced with heroin and one was plain water. And of course – to start with, it went to the plain water. Eventually, it went over to the heroin water, like the heroin water, and literally overdosed on the heroin water and killed and just itself. Lapped right? it up. In the other study, what they did is took the rats and they put the rat in there, but they also put lots of other rats in there and lots of girl rats in there and lots of things to play on. And they put the heroin water and the normal water in there. And almost every rat ignored the heroin water, stuck to the plain water. And just went nuts, mm. you know, having sex, connection. playing on everything, toys, you know, just the whole thing. Because he, he had fulfilled. connection and he had fulfilment, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's the thing, you know, that isolation thing is is then and around, well, finding, as you say, finding people who mm-hmm. understand your story, get your story, aren't going to judge you for your story, you know. And I'm I'm starting to hear stories now where I'm really going like okay don't be shocked yes. <laughs> and that's ha- the thing is that how, <laughs> don't do you, act shocked. how do you handle the story when somebody comes to you and says hey mate I'm really not I'm really not okay yeah, yeah. you know I I you know last week committed a crime because I felt I had no other choice but to mm. or you know I was you know bashed by my boyfriend or girlfriend or mm. you know I have no food to eat tomorrow because I've gambled it all away or spent all my money on drugs yeah how do you start not you know not curing them my so I'll go with a very simple one because so the, so the other ones are all your work. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what that's, I do that, in my spare time. That's, a, that's all your that's, – that's, that's, you know, that's your day in, day out. Um, and I'm going to ask you to tell me what the first step is in a minute. In terms of that very simple one, if I say to a mate, how you going? He says, I'm not okay. Well, my first question is, well, what can I do to support you? And I think enough people – people don't understand. It's not about, you know, tell me your story necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, but it isn't. It's not about trying to say something to make them feel better. You know, we you do. We try to say something. Oh, it could be worse. At least you don't. All mm-hmm. those sorts of things. Oh, well, what you should do is... You should be grateful for. Yeah, all of those sorts of things. Um, it is... To me, it's about going, all right, thank you for telling me your story. I appreciate that you've told me. What can I do to support you? Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of a co-worker, you know, do you need a day off? Do you need to leave early this afternoon? Do you need to start later in the mornings? What can we do to support that? Mm. Um, You know, in terms of my next question is almost always, who else are you talking to? Uh, You know, do you have a professional? Now, with my mates, if they're walking up and saying, you know, no, I don't, no, this is da-da-da-da, my thing is almost always, well, I think you need to go and see your doctor. Get them to do a mental health assessment on you. Get them to just confirm a diagnosis, look at your treatment options. But, you know, we know that, medication and, and counselling, that's it. That's the first stop. First stop is you know. to talk with somebody, yeah. to acknowledge it yeah, and hear it out of your mouth and through your ears. But what about those more complex ones? What about some of the other ones you talked about? You some know, of I, the I haven't, things I've I haven't been eaten told. because I've gambled. Yeah, so I quite often will say, okay, well, we, have a, we, we can support you with being able to go and speak to somebody about how you're feeling. And it could be as much as going and speaking with a family member if they don't feel able to speak to a healthcare professional immediately. Yeah. So when once they've opened up, and also in my line of work, I don't always report immediately to the authorities, you know, because then people won't always open up to me. Yeah. So, you know, there's something sometimes where you have to use some discretion on what this person's telling you yeah. on whether you're going to make a report. You know, of course, if there's children involved, mandatory reporting. Yeah, we yeah. all have a responsibility in our community, but we need to ensure that the people that we're making these reports about yeah. understand that it's for their own safety and yeah, to ensure yeah. the safety of others around them. And, and see, look, I always think of the example of like, 
I can get a you know a stolen food to mm-hmm. eat. Well, yeah. I'm not going to report you for that. No, because you, you've got a mental. Okay, you got a mental illness, and yep. you're gambling your money as a part of your, you know, the symptom of that mental illness as a part mm-hmm. of the the self medication. Yep. Um, and you've run out of money, and you've got to steal food. You know, you, you aren't. This, I don't want this to sound value ju- value no. based or, or kind of judgmental, but you're pretty much as low as you're going to get. Yeah. Like that's about as low as, as low you're going to get, get. Really, like. And- there are things in our society to support people and systems and, and services. So people can go to some of our charitable groups in our community and ask for a meal and or ask for a box of food or get discounted food with this food pantries and, and community-based um, organisations to be able to do that. But sometimes pride gets in the way. What would be – I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. For you, okay, you're a person sitting here listening to this now going – I've got no money, I'm homeless, whatever. What's the first step? What's the first, first stop? First stop is to identify priority of need. So obviously, you know, we've got our hierarchy yep. of needs. So shelter. Yep. Is the person going to be safe tonight? They may choose to sleep in the park because they feel safer there. Yeah. It's not our choice to house them if they don't wish to be housed. Yeah. Secondly, I'll find them a feed whether it's got to be out of my pocket. Yeah. Because I know what it feels like to be hungry. But do, a they, life experience. do they go to a Centrelink or do they come to so a, a community service? Mm-hmm. Do they? So they can. They can go over to Centrelink. We will walk into Centrelink with them in, in my two types of employment. I'm a greedy person. I work two jobs. Right. Uh, in my two types of employment, I will walk into Centrelink with them yeah. and uh, initiate the conversation. Yeah. So sometimes when you're with a person, they don't know how to start that conversation. So they will sit there blankly and the person behind the counter is saying to them, can I help you? Yeah. And these look blankly because yeah. they've got a roadblock. They don't know how to ask, be it pride, knowledge, you know, disempowerment. They don't know how to ask. So initiate that conversation for them sometimes yeah. and say, well, you know, Joe's been sitting here with me and he's disclosed to me today that he needs some support with an advanced payment to be able to make the rent this week so he's not evicted. Because potentially, mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, I always think of a, a story my old man told me about a young guy that stole everything mm-hmm. that he had. Mm-hmm. And when he was working and he had jobs, he stole yep. everything mm-hmm. that he had um, because growing up he was given nothing. Yes. And the only things that he was ever given, or the, the only things he ever had, were the things he'd stolen. Yes. And so he just couldn't get out of the habit of stealing mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And stealing and stealing and um, sometimes poor choices can become a habit. Yeah. And it's a hard habit to break, even yeah. when you do have luxuries in life such as a meal every every two hours you may still hoard food yeah you know because hunger is a very powerful thing yeah and and the fear of being hungry commonly in um Mm -hmm. i guess kids that have been abused and kids that have had parents that have had drugs and alcohol Mm -hmm. problems and gambling problems i guess money problems Mm -hmm. um and i look i always make the joke as well Mm -hmm. not not the joke but i always make the comment you know, disability services are not something you need to know about until you have a disability or you have someone that you know has a disability. You know, you don't. Nobody sits there and just googles like, "Oh, I wonder what disability services are in our area." Yes. You know, um, and I think it's probably the same with that mm-hmm. with what we're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. nobody sits there and goes, "We're going to get a food pantry." Where would go if I needed a feed? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you can always call Lifeline on thirteen eleven fourteen, Beautiful. and they have a whole heap of resources available on the spot, yeah. and they will also assist in making. Referrals so they can actually direct you, like you yes. can ring up and go, I've met a health issue, I haven't got food, mm-hmm. where can I go tomorrow? And they yes. can say to you, well, you've got this, this and this, this, and this in your area. Yep. They'll also text those that information to you. Okay. Yeah. So also they will assist in making a referral pathway. So they'll assist in, you know, sending off a, a referral link for you on your behalf if you are not able to. Yep. And somebody will give you a callback service. Okay. So that's that's a brilliant start point. And you can call Lifeline from a phone box without Ah. money. I never knew that. Yeah. So so you can literally just... Call. Free call. Yep. Excellent. Mm -hmm. So, and also, you know, you are now able to walk into Centrelink and use a Centrelink phone as well to call services from... Yeah, so that's that's a pretty good service. I feel like that should have been something that always happened. That's a, yeah, it should have been, but it hasn't always been. So on top of all of that, once you've got services for food, yeah. what's the next step? Do I need to be housed? Yeah. So you can call Link to Home, and Link to Home will link you up with housing services. Okay. Now, people quite often don't like the Link to Home process because you need to present every couple of days with a listing of five rental properties. If you're not feeling mentally well enough yeah. to get out of bed, 
how are you going to go and look at five properties? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always been the challenge, hasn't it? It has. What do we do? How does that? Yeah, so you can go to places like uh, Wondor. Yep. Uh, we'll assist. Uh, there are some other agencies in our area that will assist in the Campbelltown area, but Sydney-wide, nationwide, there are housing services. So you can present at Centrelink and ask for those numbers, yeah. and they can also assist in um, a social worker at Centrelink will assist you in contacting them if required. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't always encourage advance payments on your Centrelink benefit because then you've got to pay that advance payment yeah. back and you're short for, you know, Rob and Peter to pay Paul and then you've got to rub Paul to pay Peter back. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm, you know, of course those services are available, but there are some free services that are available as well that you can go and speak to people about mm. and you can get a rental bond loan for, for a housing situation to get a bond up and two weeks worth of rent. Mm. Uh, Anglicare are brilliant in being able to give support in that mm. as well. Uh, there are services that will uh, help you fill in the forms because mm. if you're mentally not able to fill in a form because you are nervous about writing, mm. people have phobia of paper. Especially mm-hmm. if they've been through, um, you know, sometimes in the justice system or in the foster care system, people can come out with phobias about paperwork because filling in paper and signing things are legal binding documents and they get me into trouble. Mm. And I have to live in places I don't want to live sometimes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, there are services available that will provide um, support to fill in a form. And you can turn up at a community centre to have a form filled in. Um, also, the police, local police stations, if you're an Indigenous person or a Torres Strait Islander, they actually have police liaison officers who are Indigenous who will help you with forms as well uh-uh. because they're trying to give a um, all-round community service in our police stations. Even though some people don't want to walk into a police station, they will support you in being able to find food. I was going to say, it's <laughs> yeah. fair, fair, fair yeah. to say there's probably a percentage of the population, population that don't just... want to go in there. Yeah. But if worse comes to worse... And, you know, you're picked up on the street for drunk and disorderly. When you wake up in the morning and you disclose to them that you need some supports and that's how you got drunk and disorderly, they will support you in getting linked with services. And I've had phone calls from police stations. I've had people present to my door from magistrates, from the courts. Instead of locking people up, they'll send them off to services. Yeah. So the the thing that bounces around in my head as I hear all this stuff, and I I 100% agree with all those things, you know, absolutely you need to cover off the basic levels of safety you need to have you know a shelter you need to have all those things but at what point is the system a little bit broken in that it's it's not not dealing with the trauma yes so is it is it is it like okay well these are all good things and they need to be in place before Mm. we possibly even before we start dealing with trauma yes because you need to have a certain level of stability stability yeah but realistically, is it is it sort of that thing where the system's going, okay, here's, here's a house to live in and here's a pantry full of food to live in. Um, you good now? You know, no. <laughs> you cool? <laughs> so unfortunately, we have a tendency to three to six months after moving into a home, if mental health uh, issues are not addressed, yeah. quite often they become homeless again. Yeah. And they're back knocking on the door of the services. Yeah. So, you know, we need to have, you know, um, services available that will come back and check up on you. Almost like, well, mm, yeah. To say, are you okay now that you've got this house yeah. and your pantry is full of food? What are you going to do the next week when the food runs out and the rent's due? Is part of the answer, you know, if you're, if you're going to a housing service, for example, yes. should it then be, I don't want to say mandatory, but should it then be, okay, cool, I'm going to find your housing but we're also going to insist that you do uh, a counselling session a week. So there is a... Um, or a medication one, you know. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. So when, uh, in relation to family and community services housing, which is fax housing, yeah. they actually have a case management model. So what they'll do is you have to fill in a case management um, form with a service to say that that service will support you with your ho- housing ongoing and they will you will link in with certain services. So that's what they're doing now to so, minimise people losing housing properties. So why doesn't something like that happen across the board? Why, why isn't... Like, because you people know. don't realise that it's an obligation of them to do. Mm. Housing officers sometimes are not educated. They don't listen to the training sessions. <laughs> some, te- people, some of them have seen people coming in their doors multiple times every six yeah. months or every three months because they lost housing. And, and, and look, let's be honest. Yeah. It's, you know, and I, and every service has it. This is not yeah. picking on housing. But, no. you know, there's probably that, oh, God. Here they are again. Yeah. 
bloody that family. All yes. right, yes, we'll get you another house. house. Yes, just, yeah. you know, you, you take up so much resources, you take mm-hmm. up so much time, you take up so much energy. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Go and away. You, can't, you can't say no. <laughs> not allowed to say no to them anymore. No. Yeah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a community effort as well. Yeah. To see, you know, you know, you might see young mum next door and when she first moved in, the lawns were really nice. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the kids have stopped playing in the yard and the lawn's really long and you don't see mum coming and going and when you do she's looking not well. Yeah. You know, and the not well could be, you know, hair's messy, she doesn't look kept, kids are not kept. Well, what's going on inside that house? Yeah. What's our neighbours doing? But you know what I reckon the thing is and I, I It's a community response as well. But I like to be really horrible about it. Mm. I think you know it's like I don't want to get involved in your drama. No, but if I you're living in a in a housing housing estate, that's what we call them. Yes, housing estate. Yes, yes. I grew up it's in an estate. I grew up in an estate as well, mate. Yeah, you're living in this housing estate, and you know your housing officer comes to visit you, and you notice Joni next door isn't doing too well. Wouldn't you say something to your housing officer and say, mm. you know what, well, I'm a bit worried about Joni next door? Yeah. But people don't. They want to keep out of business. But again, oh, and then, yeah, keep out of their business. And I guess worst case scenario is the person that's going, well, look, you know, you're enough of a an issue <laughs> for me. I can't afford to take on any more work. Exactly. So I'm, you know, that's nice. Thank you for telling me. But unless I get a file on my desk that says this person's in immediate risk of harm, yes, I'm not going to mm-hmm. do anything with that person. Yeah. And then we also have the, the um, response for, you know, children living with parents of with mental health issues. Yeah. You know, and parents with, with mental health issues can be brilliant, excellent, above and beyond parents. Yeah. But they can struggle as well. Yeah. And we've got to identify that struggle and give them support before it's crisis point. Yeah. I'm going to go, so, well, I'm going to say that that's really fantastic, but I don't think our system does any of it those doesn't. things. It doesn't. It doesn't do any of those I want to candy coat things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to say that our system's wonderful and fantastic, but ultimately it's not. Yeah. Because so, the person visiting, the, you know, mm-hmm. number 32 isn't worrying about the girl at number 34. They're just no. not. No. Because the truth of it is they've got so much workload on. Yep. And we're not putting the person into a housing situation and saying, and by the way, um, here's gambling counselling, here's grief counselling, here's, you yeah. know, drug and alcohol counselling, here's medication, mm-hmm. here's a support group you can go and talk to once a week, here's a group of people that you can connect with. We're not doing any of that. No. No. And at the end of it all, when we're all sitting around our dining room table having our dinner, do we give any consideration of those who are not having dinner tonight or who are sitting in bed cradled, cradling themselves in yeah. a fetal position because they're so unwell? I do. But, uh, we, but we, we both do, mate. There's an, there's an interesting <laughs> there's, a, there's an interesting side, you know, touching on what we were talking mm-hmm. about before about stuff we were told when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I say this to my daughter. Mm-hmm. I say it all the time. Um, and both of them, but the older one gets it now. I go like, mm. you know, there are kids out there tonight that are not eating dinner. Yeah. There are kids out there tonight that don't have the toys you have, that don't live in a nice house yes. like you have, yep. that don't have a nice clean bed like you have. Mm-hmm. Be appreciative for what you've got. Now, the five-year-old, you know, she sort of doesn't really, you know, it's pretty heavy and, and obviously mm. doesn't really completely understand that. 15-year-old kind of gets it. it. Yeah. You know, she kind of understands it now. But I actually do think that. Mm. I, I look at, you know... I look at it and go, you know, I know that there's – and this this is this frustrates me and there's a whole range of things we can talk about off the back of this, but it frustrates me that there's like a half a million people homeless in Australia. Yes. You know, it frustrates me that there's kids that are homeless right now. It's mm-hmm. frust- even as we speak, there is a child that is sleeping in a car with its parent tonight. Yes. You know. Yeah. And ultimately at the end of the day, the problem is massive. Yeah. What do we do about it? Well, we start a conversation. Yeah. And we, you know, we we walk up to that car that we see there parked in the middle of the, you know, Audi's yeah. parking lot at eleven o'clock at night, you know, and we you know we might send the security guard over there, and the security guard has a list of of services available yeah. on a piece of paper, rather can, than knocking on the window and saying, hey, get, get, out. "Get out of here, yeah, mate, stay here for the night, be safe." Mm-hmm. But here's a list, a list of, of services, services in the morning you can call that you can call, you know, or you know, giving because um, link to home is a, is twenty four hours a day. Mm. And you can call them 24 hours a day and yeah. get a bed. Yeah. And it won't always be the bed where you want it. And it won't always be, you know, how you want it. Yeah. But it might be a bed, save you from sleeping out on Mawson Park. Yeah. You know, but we need to educate 
council rangers. I get phone calls from council rangers wanting me to move homeless people on. Mm. And I say to them, I can't move them on. What about we give them some support until mm. they're able to move on themselves? Mm. You know? And I'll walk up and I have a conversation with that homeless person and say, here's a list of services available. Have you ever had anxiety? And I always start it with the simple things like, oh, have you ever had anxiety? And, oh, oh, yeah, I'm really anxious. I'm really, really anxious right now. Yeah. Oh, okay. Have you ever had a history of depression? Yeah, I'm depressed. Well, that's a, a starting line for a conversation yeah, yeah. to say, well, would you like some help? Can I, can I support you? Go to the doctor's. I sometimes have to drive people to a doctor's surgery. It, it, or, it really is tragic that in – and this will change. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting. I did, was looking the other day. I was going to do a post on um, suicide rates, mm-hmm. right? And I realised that the suicide rate hasn't actually changed. No. The numbers are different. They're bigger. They are. But there's more of us now as well. Yes. Um, it was nine, in, in 89, it was 19.1 deaths for every 100,000 was suicide. Mm-hmm. And in and in two thousand and nineteen, it's been nineteen point two. Yeah, you know, so it's pretty much stayed the same. Yeah. But isn't it isn't it tragic that in two thousand and nineteen, and as I said, I hope within a generation or two generations of these conversations, mm-hmm. that this is a different thing. But yes. that a person would sooner, as you say, live in a park mm-hmm. or find a little patch of land. Like we had a an old fella living so. Basically, just off to behind a house, but just off to there's a sort of a, as you drive into the suburb that I live in, there's a, a patch of land off to the left hand side, quite a large patch and trees and thing. And he'd set up a camp there, yeah. And you know, isn't it tragic that you would sooner set up a camp and disconnect yourself from society mm-hmm. than say to somebody, I, I, I have depression and have anxiety? Society. Would you would you mind giving me a bit of help? Yeah, can, can I talk mm-hmm. to someone about can it? I, yeah, and ultimately, people are very much afraid of going up to a homeless person because mm. they think they're going to be attacked. Yeah. You know, oh, hobo's going to stab me. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so far from the truth. They're more afraid of you hurting them. Do you, interestingly, mm. we have a fellow that lives, we call him Nick Nolte because mm-hmm. he um, looks a little bit like the Nick Nolte character out of um, Down and Out Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. Um, old movie, if you haven't seen it, go back and have a look, classic. Um, but um, I remember one night I was sort of there and I said to him, um, and I, I said to myself, I'm just going to buy this bike a pie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the least I can do. And I said to the fella that was at our local, you know, service station, I said, oh, I'm going to buy old mate a pie there. How much is it pie? And he goes, no, nah, don't do it. Mm. I said, why? He goes, because every time he sees you, he'll harass you for a pie. Yeah. He said, just don't do it. He said, don't. He goes, it's just, yes. Open in a can of worms. Yeah. And I and I sort of went, oh, okay, I won't. Mm. And I'll say that I won't. And I feel, that, in light of this conversation, I feel terrible mm-hmm. for that. But I kind of was like, you know, that's the thing. No, don't help him because we no. help him. Yeah, and then he will ask for more. Yeah. If you buy him a pie, he might ask for a salad sandwich next time. Well, <laughs> literally this bloke who would just, every time you walked in, he would remember who you were. And he'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, mate, you bought me a pie last time. Yeah. Can I have another pie? Can I mm-hmm. have another pie? Yeah, you can, um, mate. Here, yeah. have a pie. So I used to have a similar experience in the Bankstown region. I was working there and I'd go buy my lunch every day. Mm. And as you know, I don't like a you know salad sandwich. I like a good hearty lunch. Yes. Yes. So I would go and buy my lunch and, I, and this old guy had always stopped me. He'd say, you got any change, love? And i say, yeah, you can have the change on the way back. And sometimes I'd deliberately buy out of a $50 note so yeah. that I'd have a good chunk of change. Yeah. And I'd give it to him and he was always very thankful. And then other times I'd walk past and he'd not ask me for a thing. Yeah. But then one day someone caught me and went... Why are you giving him money? He gets a pension, you know. And plow, you keep doing that, and he's going to yeah. stay on the street. Well, you don't know why he's there. Yeah. And I've been homeless. <laughs> I I know what it feels like to be homeless and not have somewhere to, to safe to lay your head, and having to lay your head on somebody else's couch when you don't want to, and you don't even like the people you're living with because <laughs> you've got nowhere else to go. Again, it, it sounds yeah. value laden, but I, I again, it's not. But it is. But it isn't. I I figure that if you if you're if you've managed to kind of squash your pride yeah. to the point, because I, I think it takes a certain amount of, I do think it takes a certain amount of guts to walk up to somebody else, but you, you, I think you will have to have lost all your pride at some point to walk up to another human and say, I need you to give me money. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think it's brave, but I also think it shows that, yeah, you, you've lost hope. Yeah. Um, so I figure if you're brave enough to do that, I'm going to say yes. So people, I'm going to give you a dollar. I'm going to give you a dollar. So people say, oh, why well, support them? They're going to go drink it. But nobody questions me on what I do with my dollar every day. Yeah. When I earned my dollar, 
working for the companies I work for, no one says to me, how are you spending that dollar? Yeah. I'm going to monitor what you do with your dollar. So yeah. why should we, if a yeah. person's panhandling, one, why should it be illegal? Because mm. it's illegal in New South Wales to panhandle. Yeah. And secondly, why on earth should anybody question what that person's going to do with their dollar? Yeah. It's none of my business. I had a... a- Woman. And I do it because I'm greedy and I want to feel good for myself. <laughs> well, we know, we know it feels nice to give. I had a woman one time, Liverpool Station, came up and said, you know, have you got 50 cents? I said, yep, no worries, here you go. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, have, you, have you got 50 cents? On, need on, to I, need, I need to catch the train home. And I said, yeah, no worries, there's 50 cents. And um, probably a week later, same woman, mm-hmm. same, same situation. She walked up, oh, have you got 50 cents? I need to catch the train home. I lost my ticket. And I looked at her and I went, look, I don't mind giving you the 50 cents. I said, but change your story up, darling. Yeah. I said, <laughs> you told, you, me, you told me the same thing last week. And she just, <laughs> she gave me a quiet, like a quiet smile and just yeah. sort of went, she went, no, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and off she went. Do you know what? If you think about that small little child who started out on the adventure of life. Yep. Did they say at 45 I want to be panhandling so I yeah, can exactly. drink in the park a bottle of goon? Like I said, you've lost, you've lost a certain amount of hope and, yeah. you've, and you, your pride has gone. Yep. And you've had to, you know, I think you have to be in a pretty dark place to mm-hmm. be at a point in your life where you're doing that. And I, and I mm-hmm. 100%, I, I have the yeah. same thought as well. Yeah. You know, at some point you were somebody's kid. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you were somebody's kid and they abused you horribly from the second you came out. That yeah. explains a lot. Mm-hmm. Maybe you were the apple of somebody's eye. Yeah. And maybe at 19 years of age, these a series of horrible events Bet- happened. Yeah. And here you are. Yes. You know. So, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, why don't we extend our hand and offer it what assistance we can? And it doesn't always have to be a dollar. It could be a conversation. Yeah. And sometimes that's worth more than a million dollars, that yeah. conversation. But why can we not, as a human being, connect with another human being? Yeah. You know? It's out of fear. Yeah. You know, and you know, in our community here in Campbelltown, we have some interesting characters who walk up and down our main street, you know, spruiking and talking about all sorts of things and not always talking to somebody who's there. <laughs> so, you know, people are afraid of going up to those people. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to go and talk to, you know, George over there because he's always talking to himself. Yeah. Well, I take the time out and I can say, as at this point, I'll touch wood, I have not been stabbed. Yeah. Because I want to make a human connection. Yeah. Because I've been down and out. I've yeah. had my really sad days. Yeah. You know, I've run the gamut of, of different life events in the short 45 years I've been here. So why not make those connections? Because somebody connected with me. Yeah. And gave me an opportunity to change my life. And that's what we need to do. Because you don't know if that conversation you have with that person may be the best thing that happened to them. So I'm going to let's go a little bit personal. Because mm-hmm. you believe it or not, you're up to forty eight minutes. Wow! Doesn't that fly? <laughs> it flies when you have fun. It just flies, doesn't it? Like you really look. You go out and talk for five, ten minutes. No, you're nearly up to forty, forty nine. Um, your personal stuff. I don't yeah. you, tell me what you want to tell me. No pressure in what you yeah. what you reveal. But in terms of your own journey, mm-hmm. I'm still still choke on that word a little bit. <laughs> yeah. For you, was there a person? Yeah, there was. Was there actually. a person that did that mm, for you? Who was yeah. it? So it was actually a housing officer. Right. <laughs> Department of Housing Officer yeah. back in the day. So uh, a little about, about me, I was the uh, youngest of six kids. Yep. Mum and dad did the best they could, but uh, not the best. Yep. <laughs> so they were could be uh, uh, abusive at times and yeah. neglectful at times and had their own issues going on with their own mental health that was undiagnosed and still undiagnosed today. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, you know had a kid at 16 and still with my wonderful partner after 32 years yeah <laughs> yeah so you know and that kid's now 28 and works for apple and well, i have the, you know and this it, part of what i love is redemption story yeah and i just think and i've said this to you before and i actually literally said it to someone on sunday mm-hmm. um like you produced a kid like this you know 16 year old who was from his bad yeah. background and did this mm-hmm. and did that you got a kid at effectively just won a gold medal at the Olympics. Like that, that's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're, yeah. it's the equivalent of playing in the, in the NRL grand final the other day, you know, like a yeah. winning and be, yeah. being the Clive Churchill medalist. Like, mm. it, yeah. like that's an incredible, incredible achievement. thing. And then, and then, you know, I had him at 16, and then six years later, I had another wonderful boy, and he's now 22, turning 23, and he's up and coming, and he's doing a uni degree, and he's doing yeah, successful a, as well. Yeah, yeah, successful as well, and he's got a job in, at a um, IT security firm and it's excelling yeah. at his his 
place of employment and his goals in life, you know. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I thought my life was going to be really different. Yeah. So, you know, I've suffered bouts of depression. I've been medicated. I've talked to therapists. When you say you thought it was going to be different, better, or like, did you, worse. Oh, you thought, oh, you thought it was going to going to be worse. I yeah, thought okay. I was forever going to be that 16 year old kid who knew nothing. Yeah. Who was always going to be mum on welfare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I left my parents' department of housing home and they were on welfare and then I, I lived in my own department of housing house and yeah. I was proud of that house. Yeah. And then uh, circumstances changed and we moved out of there and was homeless for a period of time and then I went on and, and you know, got an education. But before, before all that, I had a department of housing officer turn up at my door and uh, she said to me, well, you know, part of Department of Housing now is we want to support people in your situation to get educated. And I'm like, oh, yeah. really? What's what's this, you know, get educated? And I'd only done three months a year nine, mate, because I popped out of school to pop a kid. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, I lived very limited education. Never thought I'd go to university. God, yeah, no. Yeah, you know, no. that wasn't in my realm of anything. No, no. And this Department of Housing officer said to me, oh, well, at Mission Australia... Um, have got some courses going for Certificate 3 in Community Health and Welfare, it was called back in the day. Yeah. So I went off and I did this six-month course and it got me a, a certificate and I could go and work in an aged care facility or in a, in a group, uh, disability group home. Yep. thought, brilliant. So I just started doing some casual shifts in a disability group home, just working three hours a day. But that housing officer gave me the courage that education wasn't, something out of my reach yeah and i just started with that course and went off and my my youngest was four at the time and he went off to preschool and you know we sort of worked around and my partner did afternoon shift and i did day shift and yeah yeah, so we worked around it so i could get some extra shifts and all this sort of stuff and next minute you know i'm getting more shifts and that little tiny little bit of education worked onto certificate four and the next minute I'm off at university studying a Bachelor of Nursing. Yeah. Just for somebody saying, hey, you can be educated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But in that, you know, before that, I was depressed. Had postnatal depression. Had anxiety. I had periods of time where I wouldn't leave the house. I, you know, isolated from myself. I drunk too much alcohol. Mm-hmm. Partied with some people I shouldn't have been partying with. Mm-hmm thought that that was all my life was going to be was this department of housing house and mm. i'm not going to get anywhere i'm not going to be educated you know this is my lot in life and yeah. my kids will go to the local high school and the cycle will continue but isn't it like sam i mean look my person in my life was my mom mm. because my mom never let me get into that cycle mm. you know same deal single mm-hmm. mom on a pension mm-hmm. department of housing we weren't surrounded by public no, we weren't in an estate as such i mean we had a lot of public housing around us, but we, there was a lot of private as well. Mm. Um, but, you know, it, like I had all of the benchmarks, you know. Mm. And, and I always say to people, I was the first person in my family to finish high school. I was the first person in my family to finish mm-hmm. university. I've got a, a cousin who's um, 17 who is sitting at HSC now. Mm. And he, on my mum's side of the family, he is the only other person that will have sat for, you know, sat for or, or uh, you know, um, Sorry, that would have gone to university. Mm. You know, he's going to university next year and he's the only other one. Yeah. And we're just, you know, it's like... it's Education is power, bud. But I got, I got the same, I guess that same stereotype, for lack of a better word, mm. that, you know, this is your life. This yep. is where you're at. This is, this, is what, this is what you should be based on the fact that you are this type of person living in this type of environment. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know... Everybody around me was, me- you know, we now know it's medicating. Yeah. Everybody around me in my street, all of my mates, yeah, they, they drink. all drank. Yeah. And I thought I had to keep up with the Joneses and yeah. drink too. I didn't really like the taste of alcohol. When did you stop drinking? Uh, so I, two and a half years ago, okay. totally stopped drinking. Completely Yeah, nut, completely nut. nut. Don't like it. Don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. It, and, you know, I made some stupid mistakes whilst drinking, did yeah. some really stupid things and, you know, set, dribbled some Codswobble, yeah. <laughs> trying to keep it Slept PG. With some really <laughs> ugly people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, man, but fortunately, then so there's been some women out there that've been really drunk, so they've slept with me as well. That's been good. <laughs> but ultimately, yeah, you do some stupid things when you're yeah. drunk, you know. And then I started looking and thinking, my kids are seeing this. Yeah, yeah. And then I had to analyse why am I drinking? Yeah. Why am I drinking? Because really, I'm anxious. 
I don't like being in a social setting. Touching on what you said as well, like I reckon most people don't like actually like the taste of alcohol. <laughs> like if you've ever sat and we talked <laughs> about like this today, turps, if you've mate, ever sat on the turps. drink straight scotch or straight vodka, it <laughs> is really rough. Like you have to force yourself to like it. You don't just yeah. like it. My drink of choice was black sambuca. <sighs> Well, it tastes a little bit like licorice, at it least. It does, aniseed. But yeah, the burn anise- on the way down. Too aniseedy for yeah, my taste. Yeah. So, but ultimately, I had to think, well, why am I actually doing this? Yeah. Why, why, why am I drinking? And I started thinking, I'm working with vulnerable people in my workplace. Yeah. And my clientele come in and I'm trying to discourage them from making unhealthy choices. Yeah. And show them there's something different. So I had to walk the walk. That question around why am I drinking? I think it's a really interesting one, and I, mm. I, I'm asking that now. Not not a, like so. I I very rarely drink, and I haven't drank to get drunk in probably nearly eight years. Mm. Um, but I I think if you really like the amount of people in your world that you know that go. I've had a big day today. I'm going to have a glass of wine tonight. And it's just automatic default. You know what yeah. I say to those, and I've done it in, in yeah. our workplace, is I'll walk up to them and say, are you okay? Yeah, because you're shutting yeah. down your nervous yeah. system. That's hey, what you're mate, doing. Hey, mate, are, are you really doing all right? Because yeah. if you have to turn to drink because you're stressed, then let's look at something alternative. You're taking an antidepressant yeah. is what you're doing. Doing, yeah. What you're trying to do. Yeah. And and we we know, science tells us, that the first two drinks, you're happy. Hmm. Third drink, you start to come down because it hmm. is a depressant. Alcohol yeah. is a suppressant. It suppresses your emotions. It yeah. suppresses your central nervous system. It labors your breathing. It does all these things and, and slows your thought pattern. Yeah. And the neck, that's why your speech is slurred. Yeah. <laughs> if I get any slower, bro, I'd be asleep. <laughs> but ultimately, you know, you'd be, you know, you're suppressing all these things. So not only are you doing the physical suppression, yeah. what are you doing with your emotions? Yeah. You know? And I think that's what you are. I think it absolutely is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're shutting the central nervous system down. You're shutting down the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. You're shutting down that anxiety response. Um, you're shutting down that emotional response. And as I said, you're going through that cycle. So in, you, you're realising that, okay, when this need comes up and it's not fulfilled, when I drink, that actually feels really good. So that's a really great alternative. And then eventually it just becomes, that's not the alternative anymore. That's actually the, the, that's the action I take. Take, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I'm really questioning and I'm watching people. I'm like you. Yeah. I'm going, okay, if you're, if you're saying to me, I'm going to go home and have a wine this afternoon. Okay, cool. Why? Yeah. You know, are you having a beer because you really love the taste of Corona? Maybe you are. Or are you going, I'm going to go home and have a four, three or four beers. And somebody talked to me a while back about, you know, um, a fellow they know that goes home and buys a four-pack of Woodstocks every afternoon, right, and just has those four-pack of Woodstock. And they said, oh, you know, well, you're drinking the four-pack of Woodstock every afternoon. Why don't you buy a bottle and sort of have a few and then get and he goes, no, because I drink the bottle Yeah. every afternoon. Yeah, and we were, talk, we were talking about that today. You mm. know, when when you go buy a case of beer, if yeah. it was on special for two cases for seventy, oh. <laughs> you buy the two cases because it's cheaper. Yep. Yeah, yep. and it's flogged to us in, as a marketing point of view that way. You know, yeah. when we're looking at these advertisements, we have this unrealistic expectation that our life is going to be like that Corona ad, yeah. where you and a couple of mates are sitting by a bonfire yeah. on the beach, yeah, sunset, gorgeous girls, gorgeous boys, no. you know. And you know what? No, I've ended up with vomit in my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guilty. <laughs> guilty as charged. You know, you, you wake up the next day and all you've got is less money in your pocket. A hangover and a you know a large belly full of regret, you know, because people are telling you, oh man, you were you were so messed up last night. You know, Jeez, you better apologise to someone. Yeah, you got to apologise to somebody because you know it also lubricates your lips to be able to say what you really feel. Drunk man speaks to sober man's mind. Exactly. I've always said it. And all of a sudden, you're there telling your mother-in-law that she's you know she's this and that, or you're telling your <laughs> missus you know she's this and that. All of a sudden, the kids are every name under the sun. Mm. Are those people really responsible for all that? No. They're not responsible for that. all that. You're responsible to go and talk to somebody 
and say, hey, I'm actually lubricating myself with a yeah. whole heap of alcohol because I don't feel safe or I don't feel – I feel. Well, <laughs> you know, I feel. But you know what? I, and I reckon that most people don't even understand they're doing no. it. They don't, they don't actually know they're doing it. They don't really get that. They don't link between, oh, shit, this is who I am mm. and this is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, before – you know, you've got that level of childhood trauma. At some point, you mm-hmm. find something that makes you feel good about it, mm-hmm. and then you know, the, you now just that's the way you respond to everything. You know, yeah. someone cuts you off in traffic, as you know, mm-hmm. Nathan used the example. Um, your central nervous system kicks in. You need to shut it down. You have a drink. Mm-hmm. You know, your wife pisses you off. Your central, you know, you get enraged. You have a drink. You yeah. know, had a bad day at work. You have a wine. You mm-hmm. know, I don't think a lot of people would see a couple of glasses of wine, or you know, a scotch. Yeah. A scotch. How yeah. many how many old timers do you know that used to have a nip of scotch before they went or, to bed to go to sleep? Or you know they're going to have a brandy. Yeah, a brandy. exactly. A sherry, yeah. a sherry, a port, a port. Yeah. yeah, there's lots of them. Before yeah. we, before we let you go, mm. over an hour. Well oh done. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last question I have is best tip for staying mentally healthy for you. Now this could be what you do, or it could just be something you go. You know what? This is what I know works. What's your best tip for staying mentally healthy? Uh, so I practice gratitude for myself. Beautiful. Talk I, me through it. Yeah. So uh, many, many years ago when I was feeling really down, somebody said to me, have you thought about gratitude? Instead of looking about what you ha- looking at what you don't have, think about what you do have. Mm. Make a list of one thing every day you can be grateful for. Mm. And I did. I started out with one thing. I can now give you thousands and thousands of things every day I'm grateful for. And sometimes it's as simple as the rays of sun on your face. I'm grateful I got up today. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I'm, it's not that I don't have bad days. The variation I, the variation I heard on that the mm. other week, and I really like this one because they were talking about um, that sometimes if you do like, you know, what are you grateful today? Oh, you know, three things I'm grateful today. Oh, I've got a house, I've got a mm-hmm. car, and I've Surface. got a good, you know. Well, it's also they actually just you tend to, just there, your Default. fallbacks. Yeah. Okay, I've got a house, got this, got this. Mm-hmm. Um, was the, the, the question, and I'm actually started to do this one, three things that went well today, today. or yes. that were good today. Yes. And you kind of go, oh, okay, well, you know, I got to have this great conversation mm-hmm. with Elisa today. That's one. Yep. I'm grateful for that. Mm. Thanks, um, bro. <laughs> no, and genuinely I am. <laughs> um, I had a, a thing happen. We, you know, we touched mm-hmm. on it before. Um, I had a thing happen in class today that mm-hmm. somebody uh, opened up about. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. It had never happened to me before. I'm really grateful that that happened. That was that, really that felt amazing. safe enough in your presence. Absolutely, to share. and it was really quite stunning to mm-hmm. to kind of experience and witness. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it was it was a really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I'm probably like you, mm-hmm. and um, and I always say to people, you can't give other people gratitude. You've got no. to have it for yourself. Got to have, yeah. But I always say to people, it's my my go to line. Could always mm-hmm. be worse. Yeah, and and the other thing is I. And some people in my world do not like that I do this, but I literally fake it till I make it. Yeah. So I, if if I'm feeling really, really, really down, I'll dance like an idiot. Yeah. Because it makes me feel better. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where I am, whether I'm in the middle of, you know, Woolworths. If yeah. I feel like I need to, I will dance like an idiot. I'm yet to see that. I want to see. <laughs> some I did it, it in now. a class the other day. <laughs> they, were, yeah, they were, yeah. And then somebody else copied me and thought it was hilarious and said, "Yeah, you actually do. Yeah, feel better." So, you know, I do. I think to myself, yeah. "Okay, well, what, are, what can I flip this around to be? Mm. I can flip it to the other side, and I will pretend that I'm okay. And pretending to be okay until you are okay is okay. Yeah. 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 As long as you eventually become okay. As long as you eventually become okay. And I'm blessed that I did eventually become okay. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end of it, reach out, connect, talk to somebody. That's it. That's all we ask. Yeah. And and on that note, we can can finish. Thank you so much. That's okay, Adam. Uh, See you next time. Bye.